Hi, I'm Billy. And I'm Joe. And we're now now in Cinemascope. Your one-stop shop for in-depth film discussion and debate. Each week we take a different film, person or subject and explore them until the credits roll. This week we are discussing Development Hell, what's still in there and what came out. So, what are we waiting for? Cue music, roll titles, lights, camera camera and action. action. So, Billy, we wanted to talk today about Development Hell and what's still stuck in there, what got out, how long it took and why Development Hell happened as such. Um, And I think the reason we wanted to talk about this a bit more pertinently was a film that you have really enjoyed and a film that you've been waiting for a while and also a film that you put in as a seminal kind of example of Development Hell, even so much that it spawned a documentary actually looking at how hard it was to get it made the first time around when it didn't actually come out. And that is uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Mm, Terry Gilliam's long gestating magnum opus. I think that's probably you know the definition of a magnum opus is a film that you've yeah. tried to made, <laughs> make four times and only just now managed to succeed in making. Long time to wait for an ice cream. Pretty much. Because... <laughs> Obviously, I've not seen uh, Man of La Mancha, the documentary that focuses on it, but I know you've seen bits and you know a bit more about the history mm. of it. Why with Don Quixote has it taken so long? And also, you look at it now, it's, it's transformed completely from what it initially was to what it is now. Mm. And even now, it's not getting a huge release. Yeah, well, it's, this is the weird thing. I mean, it's got, it has gotten a release, you know, throughout mm. Europe and America. And Gilliam's been going all around, shepherding the film around. But in the UK, it's, it's gotten no, no release as of yet at, you know, mm. at all, which is quite a shame and a, bit of a, and a bit bizarre. I mean, hopefully we'll be able to see it at some point down the line. But, um, well, I think, because the first part of that question was, uh, how why did it take so long yeah. to be made i think it, you know one of the main reasons besides the fact that you know quixote is such a esoteric subject to make a film about i mean there have been films before but a lot of the big filmmakers like orson wells and terry gilliam especially in the western sort of you know western mm. directors have really struggled to get a film off the ground and i think that's partly because of the esotericness of the material the fact that it's it's a as somebody who's read the book it's, it's an 800 page book yeah, so and just a small thing to adapt. <laughs> exactly, yeah. How do you do that in two hours? Yeah. And um, and also, you know, it's in the case of the Terry Gilliam film, it's because, you know, Gilliam is such an unruly director, <laughs> beast, yeah. beast in, so, in so many ways. He's, he's not, he's, he's, when he goes in to make a film, he doesn't go in with the intent of pleasing everybody, pleasing the studios, pleasing the producers. I was say, even his kind of worst work, something like The Brothers Grimm, mm. is very much his thing and it doesn't like it has some disturbing scenes for 12 which they were trying to market i remember when it was like they were pushing it quite a lot they were trying to market it as like almost like a new indiana jones mm. with um heath ledger and matt damon matt damon is mm. rip roaring adventurers and you're like no this is a disturbing fairy tale like, yeah with like clay little clay monsters yeah and a horse stuff. that eats a child yeah <laughs> which has spider webs coming out of it. It's, it's very disturbing. Well, that's Gilliam's territory, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, but, um, yeah, he doesn't, you know, make con- he doesn't like making concessions to a lot of people. Mm. Um, so I suppose you're saying you're not surprised. So. No, no, well, he doesn't make concessions to himself either. And that's, that's kind of what I love about his work is that, you know, it's so, you know, unapologetically its own thing. And it, mm. and it, and it really it demands quite a bit of the audience. Like the first time you watch a Gilliam film, 
it's a very heady experience. And when I watched, because <clears throat> I watched uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, and I have seen the original yeah. documentary as well, but the film, I saw it in Paris when it was in its first run there. Just just humble brag. <laughs> sprinkle, <laughs> so, uh, th- th- sprinkle a bit of that in. <laughs> I mean, it's not humble brag if you, were tra- if you travel to Paris to see the film. That's just like major league nerd brag. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I happened to be in Paris when it was on, and I went and watched it a couple of times just because I thought I might not get another chance to see mm. this on the big screen. And, um, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting film. But, yeah, as you say, it, it's very different from how it started. Yeah, because there wasn't, I know with the the new one, I, I might have got this wrong, please correct me, that they, they didn't have the kind of the actor, the modern day actor trying to be in a film of Don Quixote, did they? they did that framing narrative. Well, the framing narrative was basically the same, but the fact is a lot of the te- the, the actors who were originally cast mm. in the original film weren't weren't there. One of them had, uh, I think I think Jean Rochefort had passed away yeah. and Johnny Depp was going off to make Pirates of the Caribbean 5. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, well, Pirates of the Caribbean 1 wasn't it initially? Well yeah, but now when they, when they called him oh, back to the, the second film, it, time, was, yeah. it was like for financial God damn reasons. Pirates of the Caribbean always getting in the way. <laughs> of good, of, you know, well, actually no, I like the first two. I was going to say, first three. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick by it World's End. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've stuck by the final battle of the World's End, but anyway. It gives a nice segue as well because that, that um, Pirates of the Caribbean 4 Mm. They wanted to make that straight after at World's End, mm-hmm. and okay. um, and do like they'd seen it as the wrapping up of a trilogy. But that's why, like the Fountain of Youth, mm. that Johnny Depp talks about in the Pirates of the Caribbean Three. I've watched these films too many times. <laughs> it's always on in your nearest takeaway shop. Like, it, it, <laughs> if you, if I'm it, sure it, you would have been watching it the other night. Then, yeah, was, <laughs> on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who doesn't who doesn't know the life of Joe Willis, it was his birthday. The other night. <laughs> so, yeah, Dead Man, Dead Man. I think Dead Man's chest was actually on in the, the takeaway shop. The best one. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, they wanted to make that straight after, and Johnny Depp was like, "Nah, I'm done." <laughs> like long production schedules, and it was only when they gave him a lot more money and his career wasn't doing as well that he suddenly came back to look for the Fountain of Youth with Penelope Cruz. Yeah, um, I remember going to see that film and, and wanting my money back. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan of the fourth one. Uh, after the first, they should have stopped. But uh, back to Don Quixote, mm. I think... Um, what is mm, what was the, what was the original question? Because I've, I've kind of forgotten. Well, it, there's it, so it, much to talk about when it comes to that project. In sort of why, I, again, I think we sort of covered that what the reason why it's been stuck in for so while is that nature of it. It's Terry Gilliam's passion project, so it's not like he's going to make concessions. No. As you say, even if he wasn't Terry Gilliam, because when it's someone's passion project, it does seem to be that's when the concessions and you rub up against the studio and the other creative voices come in. Like I think the other one that's really interesting is Avatar. Oh, is that a development help project? Yeah, that that had um, that had uh, James Cameron planned to make that straight after Titanic. Oh, really? And it was it was that was a good ten years later then. That yeah, it came out. he was like, going to do it after Titanic, and then the um, he decided that the technology wasn't available hmm. but Fox had already put the money in <laughs> so then he had to like in typical James Cameron style basically tell him to hold the horses then Fox whilst it was just about to sort of around 2004 2005 mm. um Fox wanted to put say all right come on we've we've paid up for this <laughs> 10 million is not a small amount of money mm. let's let's start making this movie let's see what we're getting for yeah we could have funded 10 Little Miss Sunshines in that time. <laughs> and um, James Cameron was like, nope, technology's still not ready. And then they forced him to make test footage, at which point they didn't like the test footage and um, basically tried to drop it. Oh, really? And so it actually is quite funny. It's only because Disney, who now have control, <laughs> basically said, we're going to buy it. 
um, and we're going to stump up all the money mm. that Fox then put in for that extra, put in an extra, a bigger offer and got the movie. And then it, weirdly, for something that you argue like, it was um, seems quite a long process, and especially the technology. And not a lot of confidence in it either. Yeah, the turnaround was actually quite quick from 2007 to 2009 to get that film made for something which was a brand new experience as mm. such. And then obviously, you know, it became the biggest film of all time yeah. and it made its money back. Yeah. <laughs> so Fox were quite happy about that. But yeah, mm. it's, it's again, it, because it's Cameron's passion project, it seemed that he came to butt heads with the studios a lot more. Mm. I think, again, you look at Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds. Mm. That had been in development since 2004. Wow. Because Ryan Reynolds fell in love with the character on Blade Trinity. Because yes, of course he did. Yeah, he read yeah. the comics. Because uh, basically um, David S. Goyer said, gave him a copy of Deadpool and was like, this is the character I want you to play in Blade 3. Yeah. basically the same character. And he was like, okay. And then he fell in love with the character and then tried to get the ball rolling on the movie. Mm. And then I think it, the Zombieland writers got involved and then... Yeah, it was quite funny that it, it, it almost didn't... Cause he actually That's another development hell project, Zombieland 2. Yeah, which, which is only I'm, just coming out. Which now. I'm really nervous about as well. <laughs> that could go either way. Yeah, especially know. that space, because that's, I suppose, another thing we should get into. We've listed a number of films, but do you... It's a tough one. Are there certain films that you kind of wish had stayed in development hell? You mean because the final product project isn't good yeah. Um Films that were never... I mean, Like Fantastic. Because it's most commonly known. <laughs> well, I, I I wish, yeah, I wish that had stayed in development hell for one more year so that the rights could have gone into abeyance and gone back to Marvel so that they could have made their own mm. version. Because, you know, with with 20th Century Fox, I mean, I will stand by that. That fan, that fan Forstick film, which I did see in the cinema, mm. you know, to my you yeah, know, yeah. chagrin. Um, you know, I'm not happy, I'm not pleased about that. I'm not <laughs> about that. Um, the tra- like the trailers for that film were really interesting. And I think the idea of where that film was going to go, a sort mm. of more sort of Cronenbergian style, something more cerebral, more to do with the ideas of what science fiction is about, about progress yeah. and about humanity, you know, kind of like a 2001 yeah, yeah. kind of idea of where humanity is going and it's how it's mutating. And so literally made, put that into, you know, physical mutations with the thing and mm. you know, human torch. The fact that, you know, that's a really interesting idea, but then the uh, the way that this, the project kind of curdled and so it became, you know, this mm. nine star Rotten Tomatoes kind of like yeah, turkey, God, yeah. turkey is, you know, it's a real shame. And I think I think that was kind of because production was rushed as well because mm. the, the studio stepped in after Josh Trank was kicked off the set. And then I think if, as lo- if we'd just had another year where the film hadn't been made, yeah. would, Marvel would have got the rights back and then we probably would be a few years closer to seeing another Fantastic Four film, mm. a good one. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they've now pushed it back. Again, I suppose that is that... That brings up another couple of reasons why it seems to happen with development hell is that, like, obviously you've got studio interference, directors leaving projects, actors leaving projects, mm-hmm. all that. But an interesting one I always think as well is is how successful something is. Because mm-hmm. um, It, which obviously is now hugely successful. Yeah, biggest selling R-rated film of all time. Yeah, yeah. Had been in development hell for ages. Mm. Like they'd announced it in the um, late 2000s and waiting for it to come through. But um, it went for a number of directors and um, Carrie Fukunaga, who did um, True Detective. Detective and is now doing the new James Bond film, which seems to be a bit of a, another change. development. <laughs> yeah, another one. But that, that with um, it, it almost didn't get financed mm. um, because of the fact that um, Poltergeist, which the Poltergeist remake, 
hadn't made any money. It'd been a big flop. Mm-hmm. And they'd marketed it with clown, scary clown image for the scary clown doll and just hadn't sold. And you, if you go into like anywhere and see the DVD of it, it's just a clown image everywhere on it. I remember, yeah. So they were like, oh, well, scary clowns aren't hot now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, it is that Hollywood logic, which mm-hmm. a lot of people like Gilliam have talked about, where like you, you, make, you make one bad film or you make one thing that isn't a huge success. And mm-hmm. then you get basically, get, even no matter how A-list you are, you get tipped off the A-list. You'd have to, you have to be somebody like Meryl Streep or, <clears throat> or Tom Hanks to be yeah. survive. Like if you make one, miss you'll still stay on the a-list you know like mm. people talk about how gillian when he made fisher king yeah which was a big success it made its money back it oscar even, noms. It, a lot of oscar noms robert williams was nominated for best actor and jeff bridges was got a lot of acclaim as well you know <clears throat> after fish king he went on to do 12 monkeys mm. and he wanted jeff bridges to play bruce the bruce willis character yeah of course but then fish uh, jeff bridges are made i can't remember which film he'd done but he'd done a film which really hadn't made its money back at all and so he they jeff bridges he does they, they refused not a bankable re- star not yeah. a bankable star the studio refused him jeff bridges so he was like and he and he was outraged at that because he was like, well, Bridges, which, you know, mm. is, is an incredible actor. Yeah. So, you know, why can't, why can't I use him? And uh, it was that, it is that Hollywood logic of, um, of you know, if, if you if you miss something, you really are tipped off the scales and yeah. tipped onto another playing field kind of way, onto the B list rather than the A list. Mm. And it's a, it's a, it, it's a, yeah, it's a strange beast, the, the Hollywood mentality. Yeah, because I think it's interesting with Tim Burton, like, we'll come back to it a bit later, but, like, the whole Batman saga. I know mm. it's, it does actually seem to be a bit more prevalent in superhero films. Yeah. And there are a list of sort of more kind of, but superhero films seem to be the big one, I suppose, because you've got so much playing in there, and it's more mm. likely that they're going to get stuck because of, like, the oh. money, creative mm. differences. Totally. There's a lot riding on it because... Also because they make a lot of money. So yeah. a, lot, a lot of them get greenlit at once and not all of them make it through the net, you know. Like the whole DC universe changing around yeah. like, <laughs> multiple times. Um, I say superhero movies, more comic book. Actually, I should just widen it out a bit more Definitely. comic book. Cause, yeah. um, I mean, since Watchmen. Sin, Sin City 2 was another yeah. one that, that took a long time. That was like a good, what, seven or eight years yeah. after the first one. And I no think, one wanted to finance it. Yeah, which is a shame because, you know, I actually quite like the second Sin City <laughs> and I really like the first Sin City. Mm. Um, but Watchmen was another one, Watchmen. which 20 years worth before it was finally, we got the Zack yeah. Snyder version. Well, again, Terry Gilliam yeah. is the answer. I mean, Gilliam will probably crop up a lot in this conversation, yeah, not I feel just because so. Don Quixote, but he's, done a, he's had a, a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. I mean, even when I was on the bus in today, I saw this, the flies for uh, Good Omens, the TV mm. show, that was originally uh, optioned by Terry Gilliam for a film. Yeah. And um, and that never got made. But, you know, he's he's had a lot of Mm. But, um, you know, well, he, Neil Gaiman famously rejected the script, which is what he's done with every adaptation of the Sandman. Yeah, well, because they announced it in nineteen, like I think nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, oh yeah, Sandman was a very early one for for mm. Gaiman sort of films, and uh, and that's never been made. I mean, I think there could be a great film made of Sandman, but mm. it would have to be a, the right director and the right amount of money and the yeah. right everything. It would have to be everything would have to be work for it. Like, it'd be like you know Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Everything would have to align and yeah, of course, you know that, and it would have to be a, ske- a schedule, a production as big as that, you know, because mm. it's a compass so much. But yeah, going back to Burton with the the whole thing of the Batman Returns, it made money, mm. but because they marketed it as a family film, <laughs> they then were like, "Nope, we want we want family film. We want to sell these toys." Yeah, like, was, was, of, wasn't the phrase that they used that you know why, what's all the black stuff coming out of the penguin's mouth? Yeah, it's blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but they they scrapped his third film, his Catwoman film, mm. and then instead gave it to Joel Schumacher. But then again, as soon as Batman Robin went badly, the fifth film in that Batman Triumphant mm. 
was stopped. Can- was cancelled, yeah. And then the Superman film, which Tim Burton was then going to do, mm. also got cancelled. Superman Lives with Kevin Smith. Yeah. Um, with Nick Cage as Superman. And it's interesting to see, like, almost like, you think about it a little bit, that Tim Burton, obviously, that was, he was in his prime at that point, and mm. nothing, and also partly due to Mars Attacks not doing well and Ed Wood not doing well. Yeah, although Ed Wood was still critically loyal. Yeah. So he managed to sort of, <laughs> you know, he had to, he, he, you know, he, he kind of, no skin off his nose in that one. Mm. So, but yeah, definitely Mars Attacks wasn't yeah. massive, was it? And that, that seemed to affect that decision. He suddenly was no longer hot anymore. Mm. And like, mm. But then it's interesting that the one that got him out of it, which made quite a bit of money, but was also awful, was the Planet of the Apes remake, which again had been in development hell for years. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of of, t- of sort of superhero films collected to Tim Burton, I mean, mm-hmm. Catwoman, the Catwoman film was obviously scrapped with Daniel Waters' script, who did Batman Returns. Yeah. And he would have had a really, very, yeah, and, but eventually we got the Halle Berry Catwoman out of that. That literally, Halle Berry Catwoman <laughs> is the final result of that long gestating Catwoman yeah, project. Yeah, all those different projects tumbling and falling until literally they ended up at the lowest common denominator yeah. with i can't remember what the, even the name of the director is but it's like it's, it's z like, he's got a, like a one word yeah name. it's like and it's like one of the worst accepted as one of the worst superhero films mm. ever made ever and kind of you know it mean that you know setting the bar for you know wonder patty jenkins wonder woman which obviously exploded out the female centric yeah superhero and blew it apart but. again it's interesting with the dc universe now you're seeing it again because like since the reaction they thought they'd hit it really well with Wonder Woman, because obviously mm. BV, Batman versus Superman. It earned up quite a bit of money, but yeah. it was not a success. So they kept on or... chugging along with, we've got a cyborg movie in development, we've got Flashpoint, we've got we've got Green Lantern Corps, we've got... Mm. Suicide Squad 2. 2, which is now happening. But yeah, <laughs> called The Suicide Squad. Yeah. Imaginative. And then, but after, I think if it hadn't been for Wonder Woman, arguably, I don't think we would have got Shazam. No, probably not. Certainly um, not in the way that we got Shazam, which yeah. is that lighter, more comedic, fun... And same with Aquaman, I think. Like, if Wonder Woman had failed, I think that would have been the nail in the coffin because Justice League wouldn't have brought it back and that would have been the end. They would have mm. gone, well, that's the culmination of our universe. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so, and drive safe, yeah. Yeah, because so, I, I would be interested in a Flashpoint movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, good one. I mean, I mean, you know, it's... We, I mean, I've kind of lost faith in the DCU a long time ago, but, you know... Mm. Um, it's really funny. Just you know, you mentioned you were just throwing out these names of different superhero characters, and more development hell projects are just mm. coming to mind. Like even, but not even in the DCU. I'm t- I mean, like even in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Edgar mm. Wright's Ant Man. Yeah. He was working on that as early as 2008, Eight? maybe yeah. even slightly earlier. Him and Joe Cornish were working on the script it was, for that. Yeah, I- Iron Man and Ant Man were in development at the same time. Yeah, and then Iron Man was released first and exploded Marvel, you know, into the big leagues. And then Ant-Man, you know, and then it kind of got to the point when t- in 2013, 14, when he'd just done the world's end, Edgar Wright, and he was sitting down to do Ant-Man. And I think, you know, the sto- the, it's, the, the proper details haven't fully come out, but it kind of, the sense mm-hmm. is that, you know, he basically sat down with Kevin Feige and was just like, look, you, it's almost like the this MCU was growing too big yeah, to contain a, a movie that would, be, would have been completely standalone. Yeah. And he was just like, look, this isn't going to, these two visions are not going to work. So it ain't going to mesh. Ain't going to mesh. So he went and left, which is a real shame because I was, I mean, I remember being really gutted about yeah. Edgar Wright's Ant-Man film. I would have loved to have seen that. It's interesting as well. Like another thing that comes up is that sense of not even studio differences, but um, over a period of time, studios developing in a different way. Like Marvel were in development hell for ages because they couldn't get the rights to their characters. And mm. sat, whereas then they'd have now and it's all successful and everything like that. But another one that's interesting, I think, is the Terminator franchise, which has a similar sort of thing that the people who owned Terminator on Terminator 2, the company became bankrupt. 
And that's why kind of Terminator 3 happened, because the rights to those films have been firing all over the cylinders, disappearing. Like, James Cameron didn't do Terminator 3 because of... The rights issues. Yeah, because he was like, I'm not... I don't feel comfortable. This this is... I've been through development hell. This is <laughs> this is too... I don't want to risk it. I'm going to go off and remake A Night to Remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, it's interesting. Again, it's that other thing of studios sort of kind of being meshed in like Gambit. I feel so sorry for oh Channing God, Tatum. Yeah, that was a big one, wasn't it? That, that's been going on for years and years. And then now finally with this merger with it's not Fox happen, and Disney, it? it's gone. Which is, just, which is a shame. Although I do quite like Taylor Kish's Gambit. You know, I think he, in X-Men Origins Wolverine, he was, he was decent. You, you, he, he's definitely... Yeah. Well, come on! <laughs> you look at him, he's like, "Yeah, that is a gambit." You know, a gambit. Hey. As someone whose favorite character is Gambit. That's... Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know. That. <laughs> okay, well, um, I apologize, but I, yeah, I, don't, I, won't, I won't take it. I won't take it back. Um, um, I suppose that kind of this that kind of all brings. I mean, I'm just thinking again about Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote because, in terms of because the project is a perfect did, storm almost of all these things we talked about. Absolutely, and the amazing thing is that it's a film that eventually did get made, and so you can look at it and and look at what the original idea was and what the final mm. product was. Because every film, when when you start off a film, from what I've heard, you know the concept is very solid, and then by the end of it, the whole thing has changed. Yeah. And so when you look at the final film compared to the original idea, it's almost like it's exactly the same, but mm. it's also nothing like what you originally set out to make. And that's that could be a good thing or a bad thing. And I think with the Don Quixote project, because having seen the documentary of the original film yeah, they were course. making and the and the final film sixteen years later, it's interesting because the original film felt much more like feels much more like a a classic Gillian project. You know, it's outlandish, yes. it's unruly, but it has like a a straight story in there, a narrative, mm. and it's got you know it had a lot more money behind it as well. It had thirty two yes. million dollars, which was the bit it was the biggest Europe, budget that he, yeah the budget he'd worked with, and it was also the biggest um, project financed. Uh, the most money financed by sing- just singularly through European sources, mm. no American funding at all, because he wanted to go as independent as he could of that film, mm. so no interference from the studios. And um, then you look at the, the the final project of Adam Driver and Jonathan Price, which is currently being released mm. around the world here and there. Um, it's it, the budget has been exactly halved at sixteen million, and and when I watched it, I was kind of I really wanted it to be something that I think it it just wasn't because I I read I'd read you know you don't you have to understand I read the book of Don Quixote yeah. si- simply because I'd watched the documentary yeah. and I was like that film looks amazing I would, and so I read the book and I was and it, the book's amazing. You expecting it to kind of almost go Fisher King esque, I imagine? Or well, actually, it's interesting because I think a lot of the themes because I only recently watched the Fisher King and mm. I love the Fisher King, and uh, a lot of the themes that Gilliam touched uh, you know the, the, a lot of the themes in Man Who Killed Don Quixote, I think he really did touch on, you mm. know, properly in fish, things like Fisher King, you know, about the idea of, you know, the, Sanch- the, the sort of the buddy comedy kind of element of, you know, you have Don Quixote and his sidekick, yeah, Sancho the straight laced one, yeah, the straight laced one, the straight man and the funny man, the fact that you have somebody who is a kind of a, a lunatic, and and li- literally the straight man and the funny man in the most insane sense, you know, mm. insanity versus sanity, logic versus. You know, <laughs> Logic and reason versus unlogic and reason, mm. unreason, whatever you want to call it. Um, that, but the final, but the film that we got is very different because the yeah, like, as I said, the original project was much more of an adventure romp, buddy comedy film with a twist, and then this one's much more of a personal. It, it's a very personal film. The final film, yeah. So that's kind of what struck me the most when I saw it. It's about because it's it's a it's become a film about. It's gone from just being a Don Quixote film to being a film about what films do to people who make them and the people yes. that they're about. Like the, the fact that, you know, lives can be ruined. I mean, Gilliam it talks, tells, has told stories about how when they were making Monty Python and the Holy Grail, mm. they were shooting all around the, the British Isles. And 
there were and you know the people who they they, they went in like you know comedy and villages to mm. get you know when they were shooting in nearby castles they sort of and people sort of traveled up and down the country to work on the film and help just volunteered to help on the film yeah. because they love monty python and apparently you know it lives were kind of like you know in that left in the wake was like a, a trawl of sort of he called it sort of like emotional destruction yeah and sort of like and, and pain and just like stuff that I just the fact that the, the the trail left by the movie's production even though it was a successful film and mm. it worked it, you know it's almost like the side of filmmaking that you don't hear about enough it's just the is the people legacy who, the legacy the, the, the people who kind of suffer i suppose can suffer from just the film being made where they live yeah and, like, and then suddenly everyone's coming to visit it and it becomes a tourist town and it's, yeah exactly and it becomes this thing that you didn't ask it to be no really, you just wanted a cup of tea and you've got people coming in going oh look that's where sir coconut was bought from like. exactly yeah and that's where the castle you know of you know the frenchman's castle is you know and mm. and the film the don quixote film sort of becomes about that so it's almost like it's almost like they said well we can't make the big film that we wanted to make but we can make a film that's even more personal even more mm. painful even deeper and they did and it is like you know it is a, you know just watching it you're like this is a staggering achievement because it's actually been made yeah. this film you know and it's going to be i mean people say it's going to be it's going to be ages since till the film can be looked at objectively because mm. just the fact that he's made it is like worthy of a standing ovation yeah. because it took so it took even it took you know 20 years from the very first time he suggested he because he suggested the idea of a Don Quixote film after Baron Munchausen in mm. eight, in 1988 and then it was 10 years for 12 years later that he tried to make it a joint Depp and that failed and then it was 18 years later that it's just come out yeah. so it's literally 20 years of Gilliam's life and that's probably you know the key example of development mm. hell where it actually works but it's gone through the worst sort of stratas and circles of the inferno almost <laughs> yeah. to get made and it's finally made it out the other side blinking in the sunlight exactly but you know it, it's a it's a blessing so what what quick questions mm -hmm. um as a kind of a, a a wrapping up of what we've been talking about um film that you wish had stayed in development hell I mean, fan stick could be a good yeah. one. I mean, that's a great answer. <laughs> Just stay there and don't come back. Don't come back. Think about what you've done. <laughs> um, film that you actually are so happy for it to come out of development hell. Um, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, we haven't, yeah, because like I said, that's been going around for years. Mm. And largely due to the fact that George Miller decided to make Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2, oh, the best film of all time, it is, instead people, of Mad the, Max Fury. <laughs> the, the payoff of all this Happy Feet 2 talk. As it, I say, everyone, everyone's been been like, oh, Happy Feet 2, oh, like that. Like, nope, it, 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 it's finally relevant. <laughs> no. My day has come. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it, yeah, I suppose it is, but no, I don't want it to be. Hey, if there'd been no Happy Feet 2, no Mad Max Fury Road, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I can't believe I owe so something I love to something I hate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I've got a couple quick more questions for okay. you, Billy, because I want to see which you would have preferred, because there's quite a lot of... Um, Development hell. Once you start going down the rabbit hole of development hell, you find more and more. And um, I've got some interesting ones that I think which I want to see which one you'd prefer. Mm -hmm. um, so Bill and Ted free or Gremlins free? Bill and Ted free. Interesting. Well, we are getting Bill and Ted free apparently. Yeah, so. we are. It's but it's still been they've been whispering about it since two thousand and seven. Jeez. But the Gremlins one is quite funny because they, they've kept on going on about it and on about it. Um, and then the script, apparently, so far as it's set in the presidential house. 
Gremlins set in the White House. In the White House. Yeah. White House down with Gremlins. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, actually, can I sw- change my answer, please? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> One ticket, please. I imagine this is how Hollywood works. <laughs> you know, I think we've got... Hollywood. They get a load of scripts out at the end of the year, like, dust them off and go, right, we've got to make one of these next year. <laughs> so, Watchmen or Don Quixote? Watchmen. Watchmen Ooh. because I think, like, there's still the great Watchmen movie still to be made, despite Damien Lindelof and Zack Snyder's best efforts. Hey, I'm, in, I'm really excited for the TV series. <sighs> Come on, you can't, you can't make a sequel to Watchmen unless you're Alan Moore or Dave Gibbons. I mean, you just can't do it. You just can't make yeah, a sequel maybe. to... I think you can thematically make a sequel. <laughs> I just think Damon Lindelof needs to go and retire for a bit and then come back with something genuinely good. And you not watch The Leftovers. Hot take, hot take. Hot take. Actually, Billy hot hasn't take. watched The Leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> Best work of Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> oh my God. Since Fall of the Dark World. Um, Which I actually really like. <sighs> Moment silence. <but. laughs> uh, anyway, Gambit or The Crow, which you would have preferred. Um, the, cr- the, the Crow remake that they're trying to do which has gone through seven different directors and is currently with Corin Hardy and Jason Momoa not not pulling your leg not, not making um, you interested I mean Jason Momoa kind of makes me sort of slightly interested but I think Gambit just because Channing know, Channing my boy Channing your boy Channing <laughs> <laughs> your best friends are Channing my best friend Channing Tatum these, uh, these next two are two that have actually made it out World War Z oh yeah or It It definitely I mean like World War Z you know you know, success, Brad Pitt, you know, big film, but, you know, mm. at the same time, is it that great? Isn't that great? I mean, no. interesting ideas, but it, you know, incre- mm. absolutely incredible, you know, one of my favourite horror films of the last few years. It was, it's really good. Uh, and it's surprising how good it is when you look at the whole oh, yeah. schedule. And the fact, and also the fact that, like, in terms of public consciousness, it is very much a Tim Curry project and is very much, you know, yeah. something about, it's from, 19, you know, it's, it's something that belongs to the past in a lot of ways. It, you mm. know, it's something that people remember from their childhoods quite fondly. So the yeah. idea of a remake, people are always, especially nowadays, are very sceptical about remakes, I think, in mm. terms of, you know, just people you go to the cinema and especially something as beloved as, as the Tim original. Curry, the legend. And, and Tim Curry. That's interesting because World War Z arguably had then the, it didn't have that much anticipation behind it, but they've been trying to do it for years. But I know the the big problem they said with it is the fact that if you read the book, the book is basically a UN report on zombies. Mm-hmm. And they tried to create, like they said, the real hard thing is creating a political thriller. And I think what would have been better than how they did it where... I enjoyed it, but like they tried to keep it as this one man on a mission kind of against the the apocalypse. Kind yeah, of thing. conspiracy thriller like nineteen seventies. I think they should have stuck with the UN report because mm. I think a film that came out around the same time, which I really enjoyed, and I thought did it really well, was Contagion. Yeah, I think if you give World War Z to Soderbergh, let him l- run loose a bit because he enjoys doing random films. Mm. Oh yeah, every now does. and then. Every do- oh, he definitely. Does. Um, I think Schizopolis. Is it Schizopolis? Schizopolis. That's the one, yeah, which he did, which is an insane movie if you want to check out. Well, Unsane's pretty random as well. Yeah, just anything, like just random (laughs) films here, there and everywhere. I mean, you can see his name as the executive producer producer of Beats at the moment, can't you? So he's got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. (laughs) I mean, speaking of World War Z, I mean, like, 
because so I think it's just when you talk about that, we'll talk about political thriller. What are you going to say? I've, when we talk about it, you keep calling it World War Z, Joe, and <laughs> it's World War Z, and I think I'll fight you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, World War Z because of World War Three, so it's kind of like the the, the rhyming thing. <laughs> I know, I know. For That's the only the only win I'll get yet. today. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think the Russo brothers would actually have made a, a good. Well, if you t- talk about a political genre film, I mm. think well, the Russo brothers would have been good. You know, Winter Soldier is obviously, but it's interesting because you said that you know it was it was a UN report, but uh, you know it's in the you know the book mm. was in that style and. You know, it, it didn't really, it was quite an esoteric project. But then the rules, you know, you know, the famous rules about blockbusters is that if you have a, if you have a big star, a lot, a big budget, and it's uh, not a comedy, the genre of the film is not comedy, then you're probably going to make your money back is sort of the general rule that yeah. people have talked about, you know, because big star, you'll get people in, interested, lots of big budgets, so lots of effects in the film, special effects, CGI. You know, it'll, mm. you know that's on the screen. It's impressive. That that will bring people in. You know, and because uh, comedy is such an subject, subjective yes. genre, you know, it's kind of harder to sell a big comedy and make mm. a lot of money back. But World War Z was a Z was a big, big success because it had Brad Pitt and it had a big budget. Mm. Mountains of Madness or The Hobbit, Guillermo del Toro special. Can I go for a secret option number C here? Oh, go on. Guillermo del Toro is just a sea duck because really with del Toro <laughs> del Toro is a director who you know if you did go down the rabbit hole with him he has a, had a lot of projects that he wants that's to make though so interesting he said it him and Ben Wheatley are quite similar Ben Wheatley's also had a load of projects which you could arguably say are in development hell mm. like mm. Um, hard-boiled the Frank Miller adaptation he wanted to do yeah uh, freak shift which I think now is coming out as a TV series but both Guillermo del Toro and Ben Wheatley have both said that their publicists hate them. <laughs> because in interviews, just because they're so frank and honest mm. about stuff, they'll just say like, "Oh yeah, so this is the film that I'm working on at the minute," and they both said them both said like it might just be that they're, they're actually starting to write the script or they're looking at a script or like mm. Ben Wheatley has a, a drawer full of scripts that he's written with his um, partner Amy Jump, and they just put them in there and then come back to it in five years so mm. instantly then people start going on imdb putting it in going in pre-production like and going and on like, forums yeah. and stuff going oh my god you know generating anticipation yeah. rook films that work with ben wheatley a lot go on about like how literally every time ben wheatley ha- does an interview they have to change their website <laughs> <laughs> and be like look this is not oh, in, this is in development <laughs> and then like come on ben you've not even like started writing it you just had an idea in the bath the other day <laughs> don't That's tell funny. them <laughs> oh, ben i do love ben wheatley and i really mm. hope he gets somebody he is somebody i want to see more films from you know um but yeah del toro is yeah as you say is another one who has a lot of fingers and a lot of pies a lot, lot of balls in the air mm. and 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 the one that excited me the most personally was not the hobbit or mountains of madness but it was just justice league dark which would have been his his dc film it, it was going to ha- it was going to be a you know a film with you know it was, this was long before you know the Batman v Superman came out. This was yeah. this was back you know to twenty eleven time I think. Yeah, and um, it would have been you know John Constantine who obviously had got his own series eventually. But this was before all of that mm. Swamp Thing, Dead Man, this Etrigan the Demon, a big sort mm. of very esoteric team of supernatural dark themed sort of characters, anti-heroes, yes. and basically sort of mystical anti-heroes, and they would have gone off and, you know, saved the universe. And that sounded like a really interesting project, because, you mm. know, the idea of Del Toro with, really, you know, dark, strange DC comics characters in a, in yeah. a team movie, you know, we've seen Hellboy too. you know, we've seen the Hellboy movies, big teams of, you know, superpowered characters going off and saving the world. Del Toro can do that really well, and I thought, mm. I was so excited for that uh, project, and the fact that it basically, it sat and sat and sat on the shelf for so long until it was eventually made as an animated film which Del Toro virtually had nothing to do with yeah. was a real kick in the teeth I mean I'd go for Secret Option D and say Hellboy 3 oh my god yes because now oh especially my god. 
having an argument with someone earlier this year of like, oh, and then like, oh yeah, but it's probably quite good. Like that they're, they're redoing it. It's Neil Marshall. It's David Harbour. Um, and then I watched it and I was like, told you so. Yeah, um, but uh, less said about that. I think that could <laughs> that sounds like the, fa- the my fan four stick experience. Yeah, yeah. God, <laughs> just screaming in the cinema and like it's it's only a movie and you're like I know. I, I literally had my head in my hands at one point in that film. I was like, oh my god. Um, but no, yeah, I I actually agree with I agree with secret not secret option no. D there. I think that's the worst one because like that took that was ten years, wasn't oh. it? and it, we got that film at the end of it. Planet of the Apes or Terminator Three? Terminator Three. It actually has a decent ending, I think. They're fully going with the apocalypse. Yeah, and, and Arnie's quite funny in it, you know, and, he, you know, mm. he's always, you know, he's always good value as He as, almost as didn't robot. do it, because he, he, he was running for governor of California, and the only reason was James Cameron was like, look, I'm not doing it, but... Without you, it's not a Terminator film. Yeah. Mm, without you, it won't work. Which is why James Cameron was very annoyed at Terminator Salvation. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Terminator Salvation, to quote, to quote <laughs> Commode. Yeah. Uh, Avatar or Blade Runner 2049, because both were in development for ages. Blade Runner 2049, easily. I mean, that's actually the one I've seen out of those two. (laughs) So that's an easy answer, but, you know, cracking film. Maybe even better than the original Blade Runner. Ooh, he's kicking off there. Well, hot take. I'm somebody who thinks Ridley Scott hasn't got that much going on besides, you know... (laughs) You you guys can't see... Joe just... I had to turn away from the mic for a bit and cover his mouth. Yeah, yeah. I thought as if he was about <laughs> Either to vomit, swearing, <laughs> or a mixture of the two. You know, uh, well, that's, you know, great scripts. Yeah, you can work with great scripts, great effects. You know, Doug Trumbull. You know, the people, who, the guys who made. No, not the guys. The people who wrote Thelma and Louise. You know, you know, Philip mm. K. Dick's source material, Blade Runner. You know, H.R. Geiger and Carla Rambaldi for Alien. Amazing people in his, you know, production teams, but. He just brings it all together, you know, which is what a good director does, but that's about it. As I say, I feel like you just argued yourself out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've said he's a good director, but I'm saying he's not. He's hard. I wouldn't call him the visionary from visionary director Ridley Scott, the man who brought you Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Yeah, he took a chance. But anyway, speaking of, though, like Blade Runner 2049 before <laughs> we have a Ridley Scott argument. <laughs> Unpopular opinion. Um, I believe that June the new June film, should die. You've told me about this before, yeah, your, your opinions on that, yeah. I I love Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Um, love all his films, Enemy, Prisoners, Arrival makes me break into tears each time I watch it. Beautiful film. Blade Runner 2049's Incredible Sicario, like, all amazing films. But I feel like he's biting off more than he can chew. Maybe that's me wrong. Maybe that's maybe it's what it needs. But I think after it sounds awful. I'm not saying David Lynch is this prior to be held up, but David Lynch, I think, from when you read June, I've read June. It's it's a really good book. It's very tough at times, but interesting. Very dense. Yeah, I think that's the problem. I think it's. It's too dense, and if David Lynch can't do it, and Alejandro Jodorowsky couldn't do it, because again, both development hell versions of it. Mm. Like, and you should really check out the documentary about Alejandro Jodorowsky's version because that yeah. sound is really interesting. It's it's yeah, it's really interesting. It's insane, and it would never have worked. Mm. And David Lynch's film doesn't work it's very dull and it's because it's too dense and there's so much to put in and everything that's going on thematically. And, um, I think that, um, I'd, I'd, 
yeah, I think Denny Villeneuve, he's had a, such a big success with Blade Runner 2049 that he managed to pull off what was seen as the impossible. Mm. And he had to fight hard for it because the amount of money that they were putting in and it it, it flopped. Like, even yeah. though it's a great film, it has flopped. It didn't make it hardly any of its money back because, rightly so, he didn't want to spoil anything so make it a full surprise. But at the same time, it meant that a lot of people initiated to Blade Runner didn't weren't bothered. Mm. I mean, say what you like about Prometheus, but, you know, it made its, I think it made its money back yeah, mainly because of that incessant um, campaigning and advertising. Yeah, and saying that Alien was going to be in it when it, when it wasn't. When it wasn't. <laughs> and I think that's the, I, I think June is just too much, it's too much of a meal. I think if you're going to do it, I think, and I know this is something that's probably only come around now, but I'd say TV series it. Mm. I think maybe stop throwing money at a Watchmen TV series as much as I want to see it and give it to a June TV series. Like, mm. something like that. They're looking for the new Game of Thrones. They're looking for sort the of that new... big event yeah. series. And they're trying to make Westworld that, but it's it's kind of working, but people find it it's not as accessible as mm. Game of Thrones. It's um, I think June. June is enough of it. You've got... It's kind of a similar template of... There's warring families, there's dynasties, there's groups, and it, there's a, a theme at the middle. They're after spice. It's all, it's all, it's all could, could be reworked and made, yeah. made something very that feels very relevant. And I think trying to fit it into a two-hour film is just not worth it. No, I mean there are some books that just aren't meant to be, you know, because a lot of books are sort of the key. A lot of a lot of key development help projects originated from books. I mean, yeah. Lynn Ramsey's Lovely Bones, which mm. I think we've touched on before, you know, is is a key one in that because she was working on that for years after Morvan Keller. Yes. She was trying to get that book on screen, and basically, eventually, it, it just fell apart, and she she went off and. But the fact, but but because of that, she went off and made We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is a mm. masterpiece. You know, so it's interesting how it's not always bad that comes out of it. Sometimes it. It allows the freedom to do what you want. Sorry, exactly. It allow, and it gives people can give people the motivation. I mean, or egg, perspective. Or perspective. I mean, Edgar Wright. You know, after Ant Man, he literally went after that fell apart. He went straight into Baby Driver and made one of his best films. Mm. You know, for a while, I think Baby Driver is a great film. And so it kind of gives people more impetus to go and do something that they really want to do. Yeah. And then, but eventually, you know, we got the Peter Jackson Lovely Bones, which you know I actually quite like. But a lot, mm. but that was a real big. Yeah, that got kicked around quite a lot by a lot of critics and just people in general. Mm. Um, yeah, Which is, I, I, I think yeah, it's kind of it, it. Sometimes just doesn't work, and I think there's like sometimes you have to let things just go die. Yeah, because <laughs> sometimes the, the right got to sound like a oblique pessimist. Yeah, but yeah sat on a like in a true Ridley Scott style, sat with a dove in the rain, going just let things die. <laughs> tears, like, all these projects shall be gone. Got, like tears yeah. in the rain. <laughs> this dove's just got the flash. Flashpoint written on it. <laughs> Symbolism. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and sometimes it's because the money's not there, or because you know the actor goes and does something else, or because the director is mm. isn't around, or is or is dead. You know, like you know, not you know, the yeah. director for it isn't around. You know, it just doesn't work. I think, I think the main thing that makes me, for definite, say I think June shouldn't be made into a film is I look to I Am Legend, which I know is very different, but I love the book I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, and that went through development hell for years of people trying to make different versions. And they made some versions, like The Omega Man with Charlton Heston. And each time, because even though it's a short book, it's only, what, 130 pages or something like that? It's a novella, pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's, it's quite small, and its chapters are very succinct. It's consistently, its themes are so large and hard to kind of like 
make you they're they're, they're very unconventional mm. which is hard to fit it in so each time and especially as well like I, I think it could work more now but even back in 2007 when they made it with Will Smith they were still scared of the the whole crux of the story is going the protagonist is only the protagonist depending on how you look at it and your perspective like mm. if you're from the perspective of what is what could be seen as the antagonist then like you're the pr- protagonist then it's it's, sure. it's 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 a quite a morally ambiguous and quite a yeah. complex story and then and to put and and films always you know it's always the challenge of a film is to, to make something like that that's that complex and make it succinct and uh i mean blade runner is one that yeah you know, of course the source material is very different from the final film mm. and that there was a lot of stuff that was trimmed a lot of fat that was cut and you know they, and they made it more of a conventional sort of yeah. noir story i mean i'm not a massive fan of the original blade runner because i think in mm. a lot of ways it's very conventional it's quite a conventional noir story but yeah. with an incredible but just with incredible trappings and so I, suppose, I suppose that could that as an example shows that maybe I, I could be wrong and that June could work and that morally complex stuff can stuff. be stripped down and but to its core and then still work I mean yeah. I suppose you have to, we'll have to wait and see with June but I just I love you Denny but don't Go go go! Do another enemy. Go do another <laughs> prisoners. <laughs> yeah, prisoners two. Prisoners two. Electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you know. Happy you know, feet free. Any of these. <laughs> l- let's just hope it's a, a Fury Road. You know, which you yeah, know, famously it was probably the key example of like development of hell for twenty years and a masterpiece came out of the yeah. end, rather than a fan stick, which was a disaster <laughs> piece. We were saving that one up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, Billy, we talked a lot about development hell, um, but quickly. I just want to hear, because we've talked a lot about superhero movies, but the film, I'd say, arguably, for, rather than Gambit, which I'm mo- most gutted about, is the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman mm-hmm. film that they were going to make. Um, and I think I want to I want to hear a, your quick hot take pitch on what you'd want to see if that film was made. I mean, I still think they could make it today. Yeah, well, I mean, from what I know of the Daniel Waters script, I mean, I'm just going to keep this brief, but mm. the Daniel Waters script, you know, it's it was all about how Catwoman at the end of Batman Returns staggers out of Gotham City, you know, yeah. with amnesia, half dead, and basically make, hitchhikes her way to Nevada, Las Vegas, and checks herself into, like, basically a care home, a sort of, in, for, you know, a sanitarium, sanatorium, mm. and, you know, where these sort of superhero heroic figures are idealised, and she sort of enters this sort of delirium of what's real and what's not, and yeah. she sort of, be, is the film is her sort of journey out of madness so it's a kind of classic sort of daniel waters black comedy yeah who obviously wrote heathers you know you kind of get have that sort of real strain of american black comedy mm. but with a really exaggerate with really exaggerated characters and um to be honest i mean like i'm not gonna i don't think i even need to pitch a sit pitch you know where <laughs> that's good enough that's good enough exactly because you know i think waters arguably did his best work on batman returns yeah. you know i mean heathers is is brilliant but, but uh you know one of joe's favorite films yeah. but uh batman returns is for me the quintessential batman movie and i think mm. a lot of that is down to what his brilliant script so i would have really liked to have seen him go even darker and even weirder with yeah. uh, the catwoman film and i think michelle pfeiffer would have just been is you know she's perfect as that character well maybe i, I mean it gives hope uh, I know in a previous episode, I mean, we keep coming back to pitching care home sequels. Um, <laughs> after a previous episode, we talked about Rocky Horror being set in a care home. Mm. But I still think, like, Michelle Pfeiffer, it, it could work still now. Like, it'd be yeah. interesting, you could have her. She's been, like, almost comatose for, like... 25, 30 years. Yeah, and then, like, that's... that's She suddenly kicks back into gear, and that'd be really interesting, because, as well, mm. I know... Um, 
it sounds like such a studio executive, but there's no aging superheroes. <laughs> like there's there's no older superheroes. Like you had Batman, but like he could still beat up things. But it'd be interesting to see her try and like a properly aged superhero who yeah who or one of those characters who is mm. past their self. I mean, they, they did Logan and they did they, yeah. Well, was... well, the fact Logan should be proof that that idea could fly in Hollywood. Mm. You know, like I mean, and also you know, it's not like those stories are, are bad. You know, look at the Incredibles. It's all about a superhero past his prime coming back out of retirement. Yeah. Or you know, classically, The Dark Knight Returns is like the quintessential version of that story yeah. and Watchmen to a certain degree is as well I'd be interested to see that I think with mm. her especially because she's a figure arguably also you could talk about like she is a she's a highly sexualized figure in Batman Returns mm. with and, everything yeah. and in pop culture in general yeah definitely. and it'd be interesting to see almost like a frailer more fragile more sort of human version yeah. of that less idealized and more real and human yeah and seeing how kind of like I'm, I'm basically pitching for Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunset Boulevard meets Heather's in a care home with Catwoman. Is what I'm asking for. I'm sold. One ticket. <laughs> Green lights. Done. Green lights. We got a hit. We got a hit. Give hit. them the money. Give them the money. Right now. Give them what they want. See. See. We Solving got, problems. One step. Ahead. We got. We got a winner. Solving problems. One That's step it. Give us all the development hell. We'll. We'll be the gatekeepers. We'll. We'll sort it out. One by one, just yeah. You get a script. You get a script. You go fund that. Like <laughs> Josh Trank. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, you stay over there. No. <laughs> Probably a lovely man, but hey, you we'll know. never see his Boba Fett movie either. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, control it when controlling when actors breathe every in every take on set is a bit much. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> on that note, I've been Joe and I've been Billy, and we're now in, in Cinemascope. Cinemascope. Thank Thanks you for, for listening. listening.